uh, VBS starts tomorrow, right? And what she didn't know when, when we enlisted her to lead was that she would be uh, living in like a, a real life uh, game board or something here where she can't see half her band and doesn't, you know, uh, we're, we're flying blind on some of that, but she did fantastic and we're grateful for that. Let me also just say, just because it's coming, that in uh, just a matter of a few weeks, she and Jensen will be married. Uh, what's it, 20 days, three, three weeks. Uh, that they'll be getting married. Hope is here at USAO studying uh, deaf education, but she's from the south side of Chicago. And so they'll be getting married up uh, and, uh, where she's from and then uh, honeymooning for a few weeks in Greece. I'm giving away all the details here, but we're excited for them. And so if you know she and Jensen, uh, you'll wanna celebrate that with us. Um, as well. Well, we're going to take a moment now to dismiss our kids upstairs for kids crew. This is for our children who are fourth grade and under. They're going to make their way upstairs to join all of our leaders. If you've walked around our, our, our east end of our building at all, you've seen much like what we have here behind me. There's decorations all over the walls and in the rooms as we're getting ready for Bible school in the coming days. We're really excited because tomorrow morning VBS begins. And if you have not already made plans to join us this week for Vacation Bible School, then I hope that you will. This is, as, as I said already, this is for all the kids, uh, but especially uh, these, these young ones in, in grade school. We're really excited for them. Vacation Bible School is a blast. That'll start, by the way, tomorrow morning. Registration opens at 8.30 officially VBS kicks off at nine o'clock. And then we have uh, just after that, uh, all the activities all morning long and it ends around noon, actually right at noon tomorrow. So we're excited for that. Grateful for all of our leaders who have spent this week getting things ready, all the work that goes into Bible school. It's a lot of work that goes into Vacation Bible School. And I'm grateful for all the people who've been working on that behind the scenes, especially grateful for Charlotte's leadership and the way that she's organized all of that. It's gonna be a great week. Job chapter 42 is where we are this morning in our study. Job, if you are opening your Bible and looking, it's the book that it looks like Job, only it's not Job. Uh, you pronounce this Job. It's the book of Job. We are working our way through the Bible this year. So we're, we're reading through the Bible together. By the way, if you aren't doing that and you wish to join us, we have a copy of our Bible reading plan. It's available on our website. If you go to our webpage on the page where our sermons live, the landing page for our sermons, our messages, there you'll find on that page a link for the Bible reading plan. You can download it. If you're following along on a Bible app, just choose a canonical Bible reading plan. That's a mouthful, but what that means is it's a Bible reading plan where you start in Genesis and you just read through like you would read any other book, where you just start in the beginning and you read to the end. There are a number of other Bible reading plans that are chronological, and so they try to take the different parts of the Bible and put it in more or less a, a historical or a chronological order of events, but we're just following with the canonical plan, meaning start at the beginning, read to the end, and here we are. We're in the book of Joseph. Job. We've finished the book of Job this week. If you're on pace, then you finished the book of Job. Don't worry if you didn't finish the book of Job this week and you're somewhere else. Moment of just real talk and confession. I'm not there yet either. I'm about halfway through the book of Job because I'm a few days behind even myself. That's okay. 
okay? It's okay for all of us type A's who wanna be on it and, and, and wanna be ahead of pace, it's okay. The goal in all this is not just checking a box, but engaging with the word of God so that we can learn from it, so that we can be led by God, that we can be instructed, molded as the people of God. And so I'm confessing to you, your, your pastors, he's behind too, okay? It's all right. If you're behind, catch up when you can, right? Spend a few extra moments, a few extra chapters or verses or pick a day and make it your catch-up day, whatever you need to do, it's okay. But we're working our way through and, and we wanna encourage you to do that as we work our way through the book of Job. Right now, like I said, we're, we're, we're at about the halfway point. We're not quite there, but we're really close to the halfway point as we're working through Job. Even if you just look at your Bible, you can tell that we've, we've covered a lot of ground and we've got a lot left to go, but this has been a, a wonderful experience this year, and uh, I hope that you'll, even if you're not already doing it, just jump in with us where we are and keep reading. I promise God will use it. So as, as we read the book of Job, this character, this guy, Job, brings to the surface all sorts of things, and we're actually gonna focus on a passage at the end of Job, Job chapter 42, but in order to really appreciate what's happening in Job chapter 42, we need to understand what's taken place in the other 41 chapters of the book of Job. And so I'm just going to briefly summarize just to kind of catch you up on the story of Job because that will become an important uh, understanding that we'll build on with everything else that we're going to talk about. So we find in Job chapters 1 and 2 this scene that takes place in the heavenly realms where the sons of man, is the way it's described, come to honor the Lord. And as they come to honor the Lord, Satan is among these, these figures that appear before God. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Two different times. It happens in chapter one, Job chapter one, and Job chapter two. Now, this past Wednesday night, we, that's where we were in our Wednesday night midweek Bible study. We were studying together in Job one and two, and I'm even gonna come back in, in a little bit later on and tie together a few points that I taught from this past Wednesday night as we were working through Job. But the thing that I want you to understand right now in this moment is that all of these things that were taking place bring to the surface this idea that suffering and pain, which is the major theme of the book of Job, that they, they fit together with God's purpose in some way. Sometimes it's a way that we understand, sometimes it's in a way that we don't understand. So the sons of man are making their appearance before the Lord, and the Lord says, or God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's response to God is, well, of course Job would praise you. Of course Job would do what is right. Uh, effectively, he says, this guy's got everything. This guy's got it all. Who wouldn't bless you? And so God says to Satan, well, you can take everything from him then. I'll give you the freedom to do that. And so literally, Job loses everything. In an instant, we read of the fact that, that all of his children died, he lost his possessions, all of these things happen, and Job's response that we read at the end of Job chapter one is that he tore his clothes, which was a sign in ancient culture of brokenness, of mourning, of heartache, that he tore his clothes and he sat down and he worshiped. And in all these things, he didn't curse God. We go on and read again in chapter two, sons of men appear before God. God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, well, yeah, but of course, Job didn't curse you last time because he's still in good health. And God says, you can do anything to him, but don't take his life. And so Satan afflicts Job with this, this painful disease 
these, these painful sores all over his body. And even in the midst of his brokenness and his mourning over the loss of everything and even the physical suffering that he was going through, we read at the end of Job chapter 2 that in all of this, Job did not curse God, that he kept his integrity and he did not curse God. And the example that we learn from that is that even in the midst of hardship and suffering, we can look to God and we can follow him believing that God is good. See, the reason that I asked Hope to lead this particular song that we just sang, this new song, the name of the song, by the way, is Always Good. And I was introduced to that song a few weeks ago toward the end of the semester with our Haven students, our Wednesday night college Bible study. And we do this thing at the end of the school year every year with Haven. It's the last Haven event of the year. And all the different people that lead worship throughout the course of the school year come together in kind of a combined effort that evening. And this was a song that Hope led that night. I had never heard the song, Always Good, prior to that evening and prepping for all of that. And I told, I told Hope that from that time until now, the last six weeks or so, that song has been in my head every day, it seems. This will be my song, that you are always good. And I wanted us to sing that this morning because it's reflective of what Job experiences, that even in the midst of brokenness, pain, heartache, all that he was going through, and even in his sufferings, Job said, God, you are good. Now, that didn't mean he liked everything that came from the Lord. It didn't mean that he understood everything that came from the Lord. And to be fair, it takes Job some time to get there, which is what the rest of the book of Job is about. Because at the end of Job chapter 2, all the way through Job chapter 37, the structure of the book of Job is essentially a series of conversations that take place between Job and three of his friends. And so these conversations, these, uh, these, these discussions, if you will, they're, they're taking place uh, chapter by chapter as Job and his friends kind of share. And effectively, uh, let me just summarize it this way to say that Job's friends basically say to Job, what have you done that, that, that all of this would happen to you? What sin is there? What evil is there in your heart? What thing have you done that God would punish you and afflict you this way? And Job's response each time was, I haven't done anything. I'm, before God, I am right and I am I'm good. I, I know that there's nothing that I have done to deserve all of this punishment, to deserve all of this pain that I'm dealing with. And then in Job chapter 38, God speaks. God is, is in the scene. Now we know because, uh, because of our understanding and our, our theological uh, foundational beliefs that God is everywhere. And so God would have been present in a sense through all of this, aware of the conversations, but he doesn't speak. He just lets things happen and, and things are playing out. But then in Job chapter 38, God speaks. And when God speaks, he speaks with a voice of power and a voice of authority and a, and a voice of, of understanding that is far beyond what Job and any of his friends knew to be true. And in Job chapter 42, the verses that we're going to study together, we find Job's answer, his response of humility, his response of, of lowliness, and, 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 and just his altogether uh, just amazing, awful response, and I mean awful in the good sense, not awful like terrible, but like full of awe, right? Response to the power of God, the movement of God, the might of God, the things of God that he could not know, that he did not understand. And so let's read together Job chapter 42, because what I want us to see from Job's response is the, the, the righteous reaction to suffering. 
a righteous response to our suffering. Because one thing that's true of all of us is that we're going to experience suffering. Now, let me, let me just say that for everything that I'm saying this morning, I'm not trying to convince you that God is good and that there's a plan and a purpose in our suffering, okay? I'm operating from the deep conviction, the, the fundamental belief that God is good. And if you are wrestling against the goodness of God, I would encourage you, keep looking to him, keep reading the scriptures, keep searching for understanding. I would love to have more conversation with you about that, if that's a legitimate and a sincere struggle. But I'm also trying to be mindful of my audience this morning, that to a room full of of, of First Baptist people, to a room full of believers, not everyone I recognize, but mostly, hopefully everyone, to a room full of people who love the Lord and are gathered together this morning because we want to be instructed by Him. The question for, not is, for us is not, do I think God is good? I think if I went around the room, the vast majority, if not all of us, would say, yes, I admit God is good. I know that God is good. Even when I struggle, I know that God is good. How then do we live in light of that? How can our response to our suffering and our pain reflect that belief that God is good in all things? That's what I hope to, to bring out for us as we study and learn from Job and his life. If you are wrestling against the goodness of God or wrestling to understand and grapple with the goodness of God, again, that's a great conversation that I would love to have. Let me just encourage you, one good place to begin would be to read C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. It's a brief read. You can read it. You could read it in one setting if you had a mind to, but it's a great book that I think kind of walks through the philosophy behind pain and the reality of suffering and the goodness of God even against that. So The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis would be a great place, but I'd, I'd also, I'd just love to engage with you and, and, and listen and, and pray with you, and, and we can have that conversation. But in light of the audience and who we are, let's look at how we can have a righteous response to our suffering. So in Job chapter 42, verse 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, for which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job's response, of course, is to say, oh God, now that you have spoken, now that you have shown me your ways, now that you have revealed yourself to me, I recognize that I didn't know what I was talking about and I didn't understand. And I spoke of things that are too great for me and too high for me to know and understand. But, but I see you and I, and I look to you and I will follow you. And so in this, we see Job humbles himself before the Lord. Consider for just a minute, okay? Let's look at a couple of passages briefly just to tie in with this. Consider God's response to Job. Go to chapter 38 and look at uh, chapter 38, verse 1. Job 38, verse 1. Look at, listen to, listen to the way God responds. And as I read these words, think about the authority, the authority behind God's greatness and his power that we see. 
The Lord answered Job, this is Psalm 38, went out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that, dark, that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurement? Surely you must know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Now God is not, he's not mocking Job here, but the very nature of his question reveals, obviously, that God is saying, Job, you don't know any of the, you don't know of what you're, you're saying. You don't know of what you speak. Look at chapter 40, verse 7. Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. We saw that same thing in chapter 38. Effectively, this is God's way of saying, okay, well, if you know everything, then tell me this. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger, and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And again, essentially God is saying, Job, then why don't you do everything I've done? Why don't you create the world? And why don't you hold all of its pieces together? And why don't you demonstrate your perfect righteousness and goodness to me? And then maybe, maybe then I'll reveal to you things that you can't understand. And, and so in chapter 42, Job's answer is just, oh Lord, it's too much. I spoke of what I didn't know. I spoke foolishly. And so he's saying effectively, God, I submit myself to you. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It's this understanding of the righteous power of God that leads Job to have a right response to his suffering. What about us? What about when we suffer? What about when we endure hardship and pain? What about when you walk through those seasons of life? Maybe it's a physical form of suffering. Maybe, it is, maybe it's a relational type of thing. There's a difficult relationship or a strained relationship with someone that you love or are dear with. Perhaps it's, it's related to something like work or your means of, of, of earning a living. Or, or maybe it is the pain that you see someone else going through, a child, a dear friend, a parent, and you watch them and you have to sit by what feels like helplessly while they are in suffering. What are we to do? How do we respond in a righteous way in the midst of our own suffering? Well, I think the answer is to learn from the lesson of Job, which is summarized here. And I'll confess that to fully appreciate this, you're really gonna have to read the book of Job as a whole, because you need to see the bigger picture, even as Job develops this awareness of the bigger picture. And that's what the book of Job is meant to do, is to help create for us the fuller picture, the greater awareness of God's goodness. But let me try to summarize for us together this morning four things that Job expresses that demonstrate his righteous response. The first thing is, is this. When we walk through suffering, to have a right response, we need to ask the right questions. 
See, so much of the time, the question we ask in the midst of our suffering is the question, why? Why, God? Why am I dealing with this? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this, right? The question, we want to know why. But the problem is, to, to know why, we would have to know everything that God knows. We would have to understand or be capable of understanding everything that God sees and all that he knows and everything. And the reality is it's just too much for us. We want to know why, so we ask the question. But really, I think the, the healthy question, the, the right question to ask in the midst of our suffering is to ask the question, how? God, how do you want to use this? God, how can this, even this, draw me closer to you? How can this experience that I'm living through right now, Lord, how can this give me a greater awareness of your goodness and your presence and the scope of your work in my life? God, how can this draw me closer to you? Lord, how do you want to use even the, the pain and the, and the hurt and the brokenness, how do you want to use this in my life, God? So we've got to ask the right question. If you could even somehow comprehend the answer to the why question. The truth is you probably wouldn't like the reasoning in, in most instances. Even if we were capable of knowing why, and we're not, because we don't know, we can't know everything that God knows and see all that he sees. But to be honest, think about it. We, we see things from our limited perspective, from our selfish position that we want what we want and we want everything else to revolve around us. But a world that would revolve around you is like a, a, a reality spinning around a black hole, right? Everything's just gonna get sucked in and it, it, becomes, it becomes nothing. But when our lives and our world and, our, and in the center of our understanding revolve around the goodness and the greatness of God who holds and all things together and sustains the universe and, and keeps our lives going with his goodness, his power, his, his, his authority, his might, then we can begin to understand that even in my suffering, God is good. And even in my suffering, there can be a purpose. Even in my suffering, God can work. There was a, a phrase that we would use often in recovery ministry uh, for years. Our church operated to celebrate recovery ministry, and, uh, and, and we've seen God do so many things through that ministry over time. And, and there was a, a phrase that I learned in recovery ministry that God never wastes a hurt. And it's so true. God will use the hurts and the pains that we live through to draw us closer to him. We have to ask the question, how? How, God? How can this lead me closer to you? How do you want to use this? How can this refine my character? How can this discipline my desires so that I seek and I want and I pursue the right things? We've got to ask the right question. Secondly, we need to seek wise counsel. Job's friends show up at the end of Job chapter two, and the really good thing about Job's friends through the book of Job is that they are present with him in his suffering, and they sit with him literally on the ground and for days. They sit with him, and they, and they, and, and they draw near. But the, the negative side, if you will, to all of Job's friends as you read the book is that their understanding is, is limited, much like Job's, and they, rather than giving Job the benefit of the doubt, they just assume Job to be in the wrong. And so Job takes counsel from all of these friends who say to him, 
ah, but Job, you must have done something. And then there's this, this figure that, that arrives on the scene, another friend whose name is Elihu, and Elihu speaks. And for three chapters, we read what Elihu speaks, and it's some of the same. It's basically saying, but Job, you must have done something wrong. And the point is this, that oftentimes in the midst of our suffering, we look to the, the other people around us, the other things around us that are just as limited in their scope and their agency as we are. And so we look to other people, and listen, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to lean on your friends when you're hurting. I'm, in fact, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about a body like this is that when we walk through hardship, we walk through it together. And that we become literally the hands and feet of Jesus to each other in the midst of our pain because we're there for one another. But also understand, the, understand that every other person that you're looking to, every other person that you're leaning on, every other person that is walking beside you is just as limited and just as, and just as powerless and just as controlless over the chaos of their own life and, and, and this world as you are over your life and the things in your world. And so we need to be careful that we seek wise counsel. Where do we find wise counsel? Well, I, I, I'm going to submit to you that wise counsel is found in the Word of God. The Word that stands true, which is why God has given us His Word in the first place. In order to guide us, in order to anchor us, anchor our hopes, anchor our understandings, guide our convictions, lead our beliefs and our practices. This is why we read the Word of God. This is why we study and read through the Bible in a year. It's not so that at the end of the year we earn some spiritual gold stars, some, some stripes, if you will, on our sleeve, and we can say, yeah, yes, I've read through the Bible. No, the reason we do is because God speaks to us from His Word. He gives us counsel through His, through His Word, through the Bible. So we study the Word. We seek wise counsel. We seek the Lord. We allow Him to speak through His Word. We allow Him to speak as we spend time in prayer through the ministry of His Holy Spirit and even others. There are moments, I don't mean to say that every other source, that discount every other source, to the extent that what any of the rest of us might say or encourage you with, to the extent that it lines up with the Word of God, then, it, then it's, it's from God. It's, it's, it's godly, wise counsel. And and there have been so many times that the people of God have spoken wise counsel into my heart and my life in the midst of situations that I'm walking through. And I often seek to be that voice of reason and, and, and that voice of influence in the lives of others as a pastor, speaking wise words of counsel that are connected to the word of God. But the, the point is, we have to understand that at the end of the day, I'm just a man. And, and, and others around you, they're, they're human and flawed like you are. But when we look to God and we look to his word, we will find wise counsel for our, for our understanding. The third thing that we do in order to have this righteous response to suffering is sit with your limitations. Now, I chose the word sit here intentionally because that's literally what Job does when you read through the book. At the end of chapter two, Job sits on the ground and then he just stays there. And although that was a literal thing, and I don't mean to say that you literally need to sit on the ground, figuratively, metaphorically, if you will, you need to, you need to take stock of your limitations. In order to have this righteous response, you need to understand that you can't know everything 
And you can't do everything, and you can't fix every problem, and you can't right every wrong, and you can't solve every sorrow in this world. Sometimes pain and brokenness are just a reality that we have to live with. And so we sit with those limitations, and we ask, going back to the previous question, Lord, how do you want to use this in my life? And going back even uh, more, we, we also say, Lord, instruct me with your word. Guide me with your truth as I seek to come to terms with the reality of my suffering and my pain and use it in a way that would glorify you. And the final response to suffering, a righteous response, is to submit to the Lord's sovereignty. Submit to the Lord's sovereignty. And as much as anything, that's what we find reflected in Job 42, 1 through 6. We find this expression of Job's submission, that after he's listened to others, after he's sought wise counsel, after he's prayed over his problems, after he's mourned in brokenness, after he's questioned God, now finally Job says, Lord, I submit. I yield myself to you. I recognize that you're working and that I, that I can't understand what you know. I can't see your power at work and your goodness in all things. But Lord, I trust you. It's a submission to the Lord's sovereignty, to his authority, to his power over our lives. This past Wednesday, as we walked through Job's immediate response in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2 to his suffering, I read from Job chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 or in 21. And in reading that, we saw, I've mentioned this briefly already, that Job's response was to worship. He fell on the ground in, verse, in Job 1, verse 20, and he worshiped. And what we looked at this past Wednesday was that in Job's reaction, that we saw three things. We saw woeful worship, that he worshiped God in the midst of his brokenness. There was brokenness and pain in his heart, and yet still he chose to worship the Lord. The Lord is given, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, is Job's response. There was woeful worship. We saw that there was total trust in God. Job expressed his total trust in the Lord. Lord, I trust you. And so he kept his mouth closed, and he and he didn't try to tell God what God needed to do, but instead he just sat in his brokenness. And then finally there was a sacred silence before the Lord. Now, the silence ends because then at the end of chapter 2, the friends arrive and the conversation begins. But Job's immediate response was woeful worship, total trust in God, and sacred silence, that he sat before the Lord. And he did not curse God, and he did not blame God, but instead he, he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think that's a beautiful picture of submission to the Lord's sovereignty. Job didn't like anything that was happening to him. He didn't like the, he didn't, would you, if you lost everything, if your bank account was drained, you lost all your future retirement, you became homeless, your family, all of them died suddenly, you lost everything, and then on top of that, you were afflicted by a painful and difficult disease. 
If the world just suddenly flipped upside down for you in a moment, you wouldn't like it either. And yet Job's response was to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's something powerful and beautiful about the way Job responds because he brings his, he brings his doubts to the table. And he doesn't try to just sweep them under the rug and he doesn't act like they're not real. He brings all that to the table and he says, but Lord, I come to you. And can I encourage you that if you're walking through pain and, and suffering and, and, and trial and, and difficulty of some kind today, the right thing to do is to bring that to the Lord. With all of your limitations, with all of your lack of understanding, with your, your fallen human nature and all those things that, that are true in your life, to bring that before the Lord and say, Lord, I submit to you. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May we learn to endure hardship and difficulty and suffer well like Job did. And finally, can I, can I close just with a word of hope from the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2? Because I want us to see that God uses even our suffering for his glory. When we let him that God will work even in the midst of our hardship. And so Peter, who knew a thing or two about suffering, who knew a thing or two about hardship and difficulty, Peter writes to the church. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 19. He says, This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and beat, you're beaten for it, you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The point that Peter is making is that in our suffering, in our hardship, we are able to demonstrate our faith and our trust in a sovereign Lord. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated in his suffering that he trusted in God's, God the Father's greater plan. Jesus demonstrated that he knew that there was a purpose even to his suffering, even to his pain, even to the, the pain he endured on the cross. There was a purpose. What was that purpose? Peter says it was to bring us righteousness, to bring us salvation. He suffered on the tree so that we might be brought to God in righteousness. If we will submit ourselves to the Lord and submit ourselves to his plan and trust him, he can use even our hardship to glorify himself, to be glorified in us. May we be a people who trust God in our suffering. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of, a time of prayer, a time of reflection as we sing together. 
a song, another song about the goodness of God, by the way. That was, uh, you'll see, obviously intentional that we picked that song because we want to sing about the goodness of God even in the midst of the brokenness and the pain and the, and the things that we contend with in this reality because we need to be reminded that even in our difficulty, God is good. Even in our suffering, He is true. Even in our hardship and our pain, He is there. And when we turn to Him, when we submit to His sovereignty, He can use even our suffering to honor and glorify Jesus. May we submit ourselves to Him that Jesus would be exalted in us. Would you join me as we prepare for this moment of response by bowing our hearts before the Lord. Again, as I said earlier, just encouraging you to assume a a posture of prayer here as we say, Lord, speak to us. And so God, would you guide our thoughts and our hearts as we look to respond to the truth of your word. Help us to suffer in a way, to endure suffering in a way that would glorify you Deepen within us the resolve that you are good. And in your goodness, may you be glorified even in our hardship. And we pray all this in your name.